St. Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits, wrote a famous meditation for his spiritual exercises entitled The Two Standards. In this meditation, he imagines two armies under two different banners or standards in a field. One army is under the standard of Satan, and the other is under the battle standard of Jesus Christ. The meditation of the two standards forces us to consider the question, and a rather important question at that, whom will we serve? Under which standard will we fight? I would venture to say that this question gets to the very heart of the great solemnity we celebrate today, the solemnity of Christ the King. So let's take a look at the kingship of Christ and see what it tells us about this question, whom will you serve? Jesus Christ is king. What exactly does that mean? Well, of course, there's a lot that we could say there, but let's focus in on a few unique aspects of Christ's kingship. First, his power. Christ is, um, has a power unlike any earthly king or worldly political ruler. Christ as God is omnipotent, all-powerful, uh, but also, in virtue of his conquest of sin and death and the devil, uh, casting out the ruler of this world, uh, Christ has a supreme and absolute dominion over all created things. You know, thus, Christ the King is the supreme lawgiver, the supreme judge, as we saw in our gospel, the supreme executive, if you will, who enforces those laws. Uh, He's already begun this and will bring it to completion when he comes again to usher in the fullness of his kingdom. Why, is that, why does this matter, though? Right? Why does it matter that Christ has a supreme and absolute dominion? Well, this shows us that uh, the two armies of the meditation of the two standards, they're not equally opposed rival armies. Uh, in fact, it's the greatest of mismatches. God is infinitely more powerful than Satan, a creature, a fallen angel. And Christ, even more, even on top of that, he conquered Satan by his cross and resurrection. So, whom will we serve? Um, it's not really a question of which side is, is better or which side is going to win. It's very obvious. It's either we join the victorious side uh, on the standard under the standard of Jesus Christ um, or... We join the doomed rebellion of Satan. Second unique aspect of Christ's kingship is his goodness, right? Christ is not merely a good king. He's the good king. He's goodness himself. And we actually see this in our readings. Um, our first reading and responsorial psalm especially speak about shepherds. Now, you might think that's strange on Christ the King Sunday, but in the ancient world, the shepherd was an image for the king. As a shepherd, shepherds his flock, so a king ought to govern his people. You know, our, our first reading is from Ezekiel 34, where God himself promises to come and shepherd his people. Uh, God himself comes to be king of his people, if you want to apply that image, and that happens in Jesus Christ. But if you read the rest of Ezekiel 34, it's really a stinging rebuke on the bad kings of Israel and Judah who saw being sovereign of a nation as a way to um, earn honor and glory, make a name for themselves, uh, enrich themselves. They did not see it as uh, being of service to their sheep, to their people. Uh, but Christ is the good shepherd, right? Christ is the good shepherd who nourishes his sheep 
and with his rod and his staff protects them when they walk through the dark valley. Why does Christ's goodness matter? Well, even though Christ has already conquered Satan, even though uh, God is infinitely more powerful than him, God has permitted Satan to still operate. And so it can be a little disquieting when you think of the two standards to realize we have a supernatural enemy who desires our the ruin of our soul and the ruin of our loved one's soul. But Christ the good shepherd, Christ the good king, shows us that we do not need to be afraid. Uh, Christ the good shepherd is there with his rod and his staff, even in the dark valley, to comfort us, protect us, and strengthen us. We do not need to be afraid. Third unique aspect of Christ's kingship. Uh, you know, Christ has this supreme and absolute dominion, this, this unsurpassed power, yet he does not force his kingdom upon us. He invites us to share in it. He asks us to follow us, uh, excuse me, to follow him, but he will not force this upon us. Why does this matter? Well, I think this helps us really get to the heart of the meditation of the two standards, right? It, it, it's not about a battle between God and Satan. That's not any kind of a battle, as we've already said. Uh, Christ has already conquered him. Really, the battle now is over souls, our soul and the souls of others. It is which side will we line up with, either wittingly or unwittingly. And of course, we want to line up on the side of Christ the King. I hope that has never been much of a question, uh, that we want Christ to be our King. But what does that mean, right? Well, I'm going to say two things about this. First, John Paul II has a great line about this, and, and here's what he said. Um, he said uh, that, oh, excuse me, lost my place, uh, that John Paul said that uh, his kingdom must be our first and lasting concern if, if we are truly going to, if we are going to truly have him as our king, that his kingdom must be our first and lasting concern, that obedience to his laws become more important uh, must become more important than any other obligation or loyalty. Uh, that is the, the mindset that we must have. But what does this look like? Well, I mean, I think we saw this in our gospel, right? What is the criterion Christ uses to judge? He says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was stranger and you welcomed me. Naked you clothed me. Ill you cared for me in prison and you visited me. Right? Jesus is saying, it's not enough to just call me Lord, to just call me King. We must build our life on uh, the foundation of Jesus Christ. We must seek to live and conform ourselves to his teaching. Now, if we do that, if we do that, we will face opposition from the world. You know, Jesus said it in the Gospel of John. If the world hates you, realize it hated me first. If we crown Christ as king of our heart and soul and life, we will face opposition from the world. Um, you know, no cross, no crown, as the saying goes. What does that mean? Well, I mean, first off, we're going to, to say yes to Christ being our king, um, then we're pledging to live a countercultural life, uh, to being a stranger and a sojourner in our own homeland, for our true homeland is in heaven. And if we seek to make his teaching uh, the, the highest, uh, obeying his teaching, the highest obligation in our life, well, we're going to face opposition from the world because many of Christ's teachings are unpopular. 
Various teachings of Christ are unpopular in every age, uh, but there are many in our age. You know, recently, the Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito, he gave a speech to the Federalist Society where he raised some concerns about violations of religious liberty. Uh, And here's what he said, quote, whether our society will be inclusive enough to tolerate those unpopular religious beliefs is the question we now face. Uh, And he goes on to cite two high-profile examples. First, the HHS mandate, which attempted to force Catholic institutions to provide abortifacients and contraceptives. Um, In fact, the Little Sisters of Poor only recently won their latest legal challenge at the Supreme Court. I say latest because there have been threats made of the government reviving their protracted campaign against them. And secondly, the backlash against a Colorado baker who declined to provide a same-sex couple with a wedding cake. You know, both of these examples, they deal with sexual ethics. And in a society that's embraced the sexual revolution, of course, the church's perennial teaching in this regard is going to be countercultural. But those are also high-profile examples. Um, What we're more likely to deal with on a day-to-day level is the culture of soft soft totalitarianism, the soft totalitarianism of political correctness, um, which which seeks to to shame those who don't go along with the secular norms of the day. You know, at its worst, this becomes so-called cancel culture, when people have uh, where people have lost their livelihoods and their jobs because they don't go along with these secular norms. You know, these are all examples of opposition we will face uh, if we crown Christ as king of our hearts and souls and lives. But I'll say this, Christ is the good shepherd. He's there with his rod and his staff to protect us and guard us. We don't have to be afraid. In fact, You know, I said earlier, Christ has this supreme and absolute dominion. Uh, The only reason the world opposes us is because he permits it. He permits it to strengthen us, to draw some good out of it, to use it as a vehicle to mold us into the saints he created us to be. What awaits us is certainly worth whatever opposition we face in this life. So let us resolve to always choose to serve under the standard of Christ the King regardless of the opposition, all the days of our life.